Hello? Below there? He was standing at the door of his shack, with a flag in his hand furled around a short pole. He was so shadowed and steeped in the glow of an angry sunset that I had shaded my eyes with my hand before I saw him at all. I say hello, below there. One would have thought he could not have doubted from what quarter my voice came, but instead of looking up to where I stood, on the top of the steep embankment over his head, he looked instead down the railroad tracks. There was something haunting, something mysterious in his manner, though I could not have said for my life what. I am a reporter, a woman reporter, remarkable in this year of 1860, I know. But this man's behavior was even more remarkable, enough to attract my notice. He was down in a deep, dark trench, and I high above him. Somehow, I felt. Drawn to him, to the stranger, he seemed a living, breathing question mark, and I needed to know the answer. I called again. Hello, below. From looking down the railroad tracks, he turned himself about again, and raising his eyes, finally saw my figure high above him. Sir, is there a path by which I can come down and speak to you? He looked up at me without replying. Just then, there came a vague vibration in the earth and air, quickly changing into a violent pulsation and an oncoming rush that caused me to start back as though it had forced to draw me down. When such vapor as rose to my height from this rapid train had passed me and was skimming away over the landscape, I looked down again and saw him refurling the flag he had shown while the train went by. I say. Is there a path by which I can come down and speak to you? He motioned with his rolled-up flag toward a point on my level, some two or three yards distant. All right. I made for that point, and by looking closely about me, I found a rough zigzag descending path notched out, which I followed. The cutting was extremely deep. And unusually precipitate. <clears throat> the path was made through clammy stone that became oozier and wetter as I descended. When I came down low enough upon the zigzag descent to see him again, I saw that he was standing between the rails on the way by which the train had lately passed, in an attitude as if he were. Waiting for me to appear, I stopped a moment. His attitude was one of great expectation and watchfulness. I resumed my downward way, and stepping out upon the level of the railroad and drawing nearer to him, saw that he was a dark, sallow man with a dark beard and rather heavy eyebrows. His post was in as solitary and dismal a place as ever I saw. On either side, a dripping wet wall of jagged stone, excluding all view but a strip of sky. The perspective, 
one way, only a crooked prolongation of this great dungeon, the shorter perspective in the other direction, terminated in a gloomy red light, and a gloomier entrance to a black tunnel, in whose massive architecture there was a barbarous, depressing, and forbidding air. So little sunlight ever found its way to this spot that it had an earthy, deadly smell, and so much cold wind rushed through it that it struck chill to me as if I had left the natural world. I was near enough to him to have touched him, not even removing his eyes from mine. He stepped back one step and lifted his hand. Um, this is a lonesome post to occupy, and um, it riveted my attention when I looked down from up yonder. A visitor is a rarity, I should suppose. Not an unwelcome rarity, I hope. <laughs> I'm sure what you see in me is merely a woman who has been shut up within narrow limits all her life. Um, and who, being at last set free with my new occupation as reporter for the Daily Dispatch, has a newly awakened interest in great works such as railroads. He directed a most curious look towards the red light near the tunnel's mouth, and looked all about it as if something were missing from it, and then looked at me. Um, that red light over there, it's part of your charge, is it not? Don't you know it is? You look at me as if you have a dread of me. I was doubtful whether I had seen you before. Where would you have seen me before? There. By that red light near the tunnel? Yes. My good fellow, what should I do there? However, be that as it may, I never was there. You may swear. I think I may. Yes, I am sure I may. And as a tree bears fruit, I, as a reporter, bear questions. Um, have you much to do here? Yes, I have enough responsibility, madam. But exactness and watchfulness are what is required of me. Actual work, manual labor, to change the signal, to trim those lights, and to turn this iron handle now and then, that is all I have to do. And the long hours? Ah, well, the routine of my life has shaped itself into that form, and I have grown used to it. In the time I have been down here, during the slack time, I have taught myself a second language. I have also worked at fractions and decimals and tried a little algebra, but it is damp. Follow me into my shack with your questions, madam. I have a fire burning to fight this chilly night and several chairs we may use. Thank you, sir. Um, is it necessary when on duty always to remain in this channel of damp air? Can you never rise into the sunshine from between these high stone walls? Why, that depends on times and circumstances, madam. Under some conditions, there would be less traffic on the line than others, and the same holds good as to certain hours of the day or night. In bright weather, I choose occasions for getting a little above these lower shadows, but being at all times liable to be called by this. An electric bell? Yes, madam. 
here on my desk next to my telegraphic instrument. Listening for this bell from up above would redouble my anxiety, making my relief less than you would suppose. But you are still standing. Please, sit. Thank you, sir. We spoke further, the signalman and I. He, with his grave, dark regards divided between me and the fire, he claimed to be nothing but what I found him to be. Excuse me, ma'am. Of course, sir. He was several times interrupted by the little bell and had to read off messages and send replies. Once he had to stand outside the door and display a flag as a train passed. In the discharge of his duties, I found him to be remarkably exact and vigilant. In a word, I should have set this man down as one of the safest of men to be employed in that capacity. But for the circumstance that while he was speaking to me, he twice broke off with a fallen color, turned his face towards the little bell when it did not ring, then each time opened the door of the hut and looked out towards the red light near the mouth of the tunnel. On both these occasions, he came back to the fire with an inexplicable air upon him. Said I when I rose to leave him, Um, you almost make me think that I have met with a contented man. I believe I used to be so. But I am troubled, madam. I am troubled. With what? What is your trouble? It is very difficult to impart, madam. It is very, very difficult to speak of it. If ever you make me another visit, I will try to tell you. But I expressly intend to make you another visit. When shall it be? I go off early in the morning, and I shall be on again at ten tomorrow night, madam. I will come at eleven. Thank you, madam. I'll show my white light till you have found the way up. When you have found it, don't call out. When you are at the top, don't call out. And when you come down tomorrow night, don't call out. Very well. Let me ask you a parting question, madam. Of course. What made you cry, Hello, below there, earlier tonight? Heaven knows. I cried something to that effect Not and I... to that effect, madam. Those were the very words. I know them well. I said them, no doubt, because I saw you below. For no other reason? What other reason could I possibly have? You had no feeling that they were conveyed to you in any supernatural way? No. Good night, then, madam. He held up his light, and I walked by the side of the rails until I found the path. It was easier to mount than to descend, and I got back to my lodgings without any further adventure.
actual to my appointment. I placed my foot on the first notch of the zigzag next night as the distant clocks were striking eleven. He was waiting for me at the bottom with his white light on. I have not called out. May I speak now? By all means, madam. Good night, then, and here's my hand. Good night, madam, and here's mine. I have made up my mind, madam, that you shall not have to ask me twice what troubles me. I took you for someone else yesterday evening. That troubles me. That mistake? No. That someone else. Who is it? I don't know. Resembling me? I don't know. I never saw the face. The left arm is across the face, and the right arm is waved, violently waved, this way. I thought to myself, there is so much passion and agitation in his waving, as if to indicate, for God's sake, clear the way. The signal man continued his story. One moonlit night, I was sitting here, when I heard a voice cry, Hello! Below there! I started up, looked from that door, and saw this someone else standing by the red light near the tunnel, waving as I just now showed you. The voice seemed hoarse with shouting, and it cried, Look out! Look out! And then again, Hello! Below there! Look out! I caught up my lamp, turned it on red, and ran towards the figure, calling, What's wrong? What has happened? Where? It stood just outside the blackness of the tunnel. I advanced so close upon it that I wondered at its keeping the sleeve across its eyes. I ran right up to it and had my hand stretched out to pull the sleeve away when it was gone. Into the tunnel? No. I ran into the tunnel. Five hundred yards. I stopped and held my lamp above my head. I saw in the measured distance the wet stains stealing down the walls and trickling through the arch. I ran out again faster than I had run in, for I have a mortal abhorrence of the place upon me. I looked all round the red light with my own light, and I went up the iron ladder to the gallery atop of it, and I came down again, and I ran back here. I telegraphed both ways. An alarm has been given. Is anything wrong? The answer came back both ways. All well. This figure, um, must be the deception of your sense of sight. But the cry... The imaginary cry. Do but listen for a moment to the wind in this unnatural valley while we speak so low. And to the wild harp it makes of the telegraph wires. All very well. But I ought to know something of the wind and the wires. I, who so often pass long winter nights here, alone and watching. Oh, I, I meant no. And I have not finished. Then I beg your Within pardon. Within six hours after the appearance, the memorable accident on the railroad line happened. And within ten hours, 
the dead and wounded were brought along through the tunnel over the spot where the figure had stood. Well, yes, it is not to be denied that this is a remarkable coincidence calculated deeply to impress your mind. I must admit, however, that men of common... I have not finished. I, I beg your pardon for being betrayed into interruptions and... This was just a year ago. Six or seven months passed, and I had recovered from the surprise and shock. When one morning, as the day was breaking, I, standing at that door, looked towards the red light and saw the specter again. Did it... did it cry out? No. It was silent. Did it wave its arms? No. It leaned against the shaft of the light with both hands before the face like this. Like an action of mourning. I have seen such attitude in stone figures on tombs. Did you go up to it? I came in and sat down, partly to collect my thoughts, partly because it had turned me faint. When I went to the door again, daylight was above me, and the ghost was gone. But nothing followed? Nothing came of this? Ah, that very day, as the train came out of the tunnel, I noticed through a window on the side of the train facing me what looked like a confusion of hands and heads, and someone waved from the car. I saw it just in time to signal to the driver, Stop! He set off and put his brake on, but the train drifted past here 150 yards or more. I ran after it, and as I went along, heard terrible screams and cries. A beautiful young lady had died instantaneously in one of the compartments and was brought in here and laid down on this very floor. Well, I... True, madam, true, precisely as it happened, as I tell you. Now, madam, mark this, and judge how my mind is troubled. The specter came back a week ago. Ever since, it has been there now and again, by fits and starts. At the light? At the danger light, yes. What does it seem to do? This. The signal man waved his arm violently, looking again as if he were indicating, For God's sake, clear the way. I have no peace or rest for it. It calls to me for many minutes together in an agonized manner. Below there! Look out! Look out! It stands, waving to me. It rings my little bell. Ah, uh, wait. Did it ring your bell yesterday evening when I was here and you went to the door? Twice. Why, see how your imagination misleads you? My eyes were on the bell and my ears were open to the bell. And if I am a living woman, it did not ring at those times. But I no, don't think... No, nor at any other time, except when it was rung in the natural course of physical things by another station communicating with you. I have never made a mistake as to that yet, madam. I have never confused the specter's ring with the man's. 
The ghost's ring is a strange vibration in the bell that it derives from nothing else, and I have not asserted that the bell stirs to the eye. I don't wonder that you failed to hear it, but I heard it. And did the specter seem to be there when you looked out? Both times. Will you come to the door with me and look for it now? There is the danger light. There is the dismal mouth of the tunnel. There are the high, wet stone walls of the cutting. There are the stars above them. Now, do you see it? No, it is not there. Agreed. By this time you will fully understand, madam. What troubles me so dreadfully is the question, what does the specter mean? I'm not sure I... I don't fully understand. What is its warning against? What is the danger? Where is the danger? There is danger overhanging somewhere on this railroad line. Some dreadful calamity will happen. It is not to be doubted this third time after what has gone before. But surely this is a cruel haunting of me. What can I do if I telegraph danger on either side of me or on both? I can give no reason for it. I should get into trouble and do no good. No, they would think I was mad. Message, danger, take care. Answer, what danger? Where? Message, don't know. But for God's sakes, take care. They would displace me. What else could they do? You mustn't torture yourself. You are a conscientious man, oppressed beyond endurance by an unintelligible responsibility. Oh, when it first stood under the danger light, why not tell me where that accident was to happen, if it must happen? Why not tell me how it could be averted, if it could have been averted? When on its second coming it hid its face, why not tell me instead, she is going to die, let them keep her at home? If it came on these two occasions only to show me that its warnings were true, and so to prepare me for the third, why not warn me plainly now? And I, Lord help me, a mere poor signal man on this solitary station, why not go to somebody with credit to be believed and power to act? Setting aside all question of reality or unreality, I told him that whoever thoroughly discharged his duty must do well, and that at least it was his comfort that he understood his duty, though he did not understand these confounding appearances. In this effort, I succeeded far better than in the attempt to reason him out of his conviction. He became calm. The occupations incidental to his post, as the night advanced, began to make larger demands on his attention, and I left him at two in the morning. I had offered to rouse friends, and we would all stay through the night, but he would not hear of it. I see no reason to conceal that I more than once looked back at the red light as I ascended the pathway, that I did not like the red light, and that I should have slept poorly if my bed had been under it. Nor did I like the two sequences of the accident and the dead girl. 
I see no reason to conceal that either. Home late from your newspaper travels, ma'am? But what ran most in my thoughts was the consideration how ought I to act, having become the recipient of this disclosure. I had proved the man to be intelligent, vigilant, painstaking, and exact. But how long might he remain so in his state of mind? He held an important trust. Would I like to stake my own life on the chances of his continuing to execute it with precision? I ultimately resolved to accompany him to the wisest medical practitioner we could hear of in these parts and to take his opinion. A change in the signal man's time of duty meant he would be off an hour or two after sunrise and on again shortly after sunset. I told him I would return accordingly. Unable to overcome a feeling that there would be something treacherous in my communicating what he had told me to his superiors and the railroad, I would keep the signal man's secret for the present. Next evening was a lovely evening, and I walked out early to enjoy it. The sun was not yet quite down when I traversed the field path near the top of the deep cutting. I would extend my walk for an hour, I said to myself, half an hour on and half an hour back, and it would be time to go to my signal man's shack. Before pursuing my stroll, I stepped to the brink and mechanically looked down at the point from which I had first seen him. I cannot describe the thrill that seized upon me when, close at the mouth of the tunnel, I saw the appearance of a man with his left sleeve across his eyes, passionately waving his right arm. But then I saw that this appearance of a man was a man indeed, and that there was a little group of other men standing at a short distance to whom he seemed to be rehearsing the gesture he made. With a flashing self-reproachful fear that fatal mischief had come of my leaving the signal man alone there and causing no one to be sent to overlook or correct what he did, I descended the notched path with all the speed I could make. The danger light was not yet lighted. Against its shaft, a little low hut, entirely new to me, had been made of some wooden supports and tarpaulin. It looked no bigger than a bed. Gentlemen, what, what is the matter? Signal man killed this morning, ma'am. Not the man belonging to that shack. Yes, ma'am. Not the man I know. You will recognize him, ma'am, if you knew him. He is under the tarpaulin here. His face is quite composed. Here. Oh, please, please, pull the cover back over. Yes, ma'am. How did this happen? How did this happen? He was cut down by an engine, ma'am. No man in these parts knew his work better, but somehow he was not clear of the outer rail. It was just a broad day. He had struck the light and had the lamp in his hand. As the engine came out of the tunnel, his back was towards her, and she cut him down. That man drove her, and was showing us how it happened. Show the lady. Come around the curve in the tunnel, ma'am. I saw him at the end like as if I saw him down a perspective glass. There was not time to check speed, and I knew him to be very careful. 
as he didn't seem to take heed of his whistle, I shut it off when we were running down upon him and called to him as loud as I could call. What did you say? I said, below there, look out, look out for God's sake, clear the way. That is what you said? Oh, it was a dreadful time, ma'am. I never left off calling to him. I put this arm before my eyes not to see, and I waved this arm like this to the last, but it was no use. That warning, they were the very words that the signal man repeated to me as haunting him. Pardon, ma'am? But those other words, I myself, not he, used them to describe the wild hand gestures. But I said them only in my mind. <laughs>